Hey, everyone, and welcome to the State of the Art Podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists to first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world and explore how other creative industries, such as music and fashion, were democratized using technology. So before we get started, I want to ask, did you catch our earlier episode with Patreon, the site that gets creators paid by running a membership business for their fans? Look, we liked it so much and we're so inspired that we created our own Patreon page. Really, we did it for two reasons. One, it lets us connect with you, our fans and listeners. And two, it helps us continue to make great content, get on better speakers, and find creative ways to continue this conversation with art and tech. So look, you can pledge as little as a dollar and become one of our patrons. To do so, check out patreon.com slash state of the art. In this episode, I'm excited to welcome Los Angeles-based artist Nancy Baker Cahill. Nancy's work explores the tension between the individual's desire for pattern seeking and the never-ending chaos of the world around us. She was constantly trying to explore ways to make her art a more immersive experience, often frustrated by the limitations of paper. That is, until she tried VR for the first time and had a revelation of what this could do to her art. So she teamed up with a developer to bring her art to the virtual and augmented world. Today, I talked to Nancy about her journey from 2D art to sculptures to the VR and AR world, the disconnects between the art and tech worlds, and where she sees virtual reality and art going in the future. So please, allow me to welcome today's guest, Nancy Baker Cahill. Nancy, it's awesome to have you on the State of the Art Podcast. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, I imagine it's been a pretty uh, hectic month for you. A lot going it ha- on. <laughs> it has. It's been a really hectic but super exciting month, actually, um, since we launched the app. It's been really, really fascinating to see how people have really taken to it and what they've sort of gravitated toward and how they've used it and how we imagine they would use it. And, and then that sort of exceeding our expectations. Yeah. So it's been really, really, it's been really exciting. That's great. Well, I, I, for those who haven't used it, the app is incredible. It's called Fourth Wall, and I'm gonna give I'm gonna give my experience, and then you can like you know talk about what you want the experience to be. But you know, you open it up. First of all, I was a bit envious because you know I I created an app, and and yours is way more engaging than what I did. So oh, uh, I can't imagine that's true. It was it was great, but you know, I opened it up, and I'm sitting on my couch, and. You know, first it's like about the artist and in almost this Orwellian way, you're sitting on my couch, a hologram <laughs> telling me about your story. I'm like, this is, this is crazy. And then after you finish sort of, you know, what inspires you and your work is then like come into my studio and I press that and then there's like a doorway and I stand up out of my couch and I walk through the door and I'm in your studio looking around. I'm like, this is too, like before I even got to the artwork, I was blown away. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, and, and then and then you've got four art pieces that you can go on. Again, you know, it, this is using augmented reality. We'll go into all of that. Talk to me about 
what inspired this? And you, you said a couple key things on what you, how you thought people would use it and how they did. I mean, tell me about what, how did this whole thing begin? Wow. Uh, well, I think to get into how it began, I would have to go back to sort of one step back yeah. or maybe even two steps back to the work itself, because it's really driven by um, both a philosophical belief that art should be accessible to the broadest possible audience, but it's also um, driven by the sort of conceptual exigencies of my work, which have to do with sort of immersive qualities of the work. I've always really wanted viewers, whether the work is in 2D or in virtual reality, to feel, um, to, to, I have always tried to sort of elicit an empathic response. And one great way of doing that is to create immersive work. And VR is the most obvious, you know, uh, application of, the most obvious medium through which you can achieve that. And so, you know, when I first started drawing in, in VR, it was, it was kind of an extraordinary awakening and sort of epiphany for me to be able to draw in 360 degrees yeah. that really, because I feel I'm a slightly closeted sculptor. And so I've always drawn in, at least on paper, very sculptural forms. And it just kind of opened up this whole new arena and, you know, and adding with along with, I, I, I think I mentioned this, that my, I, the developers of the app drive studios are mm -hmm. sort of my creative partners in this. Yeah. And they really helped me to kind of establish a visual vernacular and conversation between the works that I guess you can, you can see no one else can see behind yeah. me yeah. in my studio or actually you can see them. You can see them in the app. Yeah. You can see them through the app. You can go in my studio and see what I'm talking about. Um, but a visual vernacular between those works on paper and then the works in VR and sort of developing my own brush strokes and having that, having it all be of a piece. Um, and so that, which is, which is all, and they have also helped me with the animation. I've sort of applied glacial animation to the VR drawings. Anyway, all of that is to say yeah. that the VR experience is a very singular one. And it's a, it's an incredibly, um, powerful experience, but you, but it requires hardware mm -hmm. and it, and it's difficult to show. I mean, even when you exhibit the work, you have to, I have four drawings and if you were going to experience them in VR, it's going to take a while to get through each one to sort of engage with them the way you want to engage with them. Rarely does someone go into one of the drawings and sort of say, oh, that's great. I got it. Like I'm out. Yeah. They want, I've really created them in such a way really tread very carefully away from a gaming experience and try to, um, allow, allow people to be led by their own curiosity the same way you would in a gallery or museum. Yeah. And, and so no two people experience the VR drawings the same way. And I'm assuming the same is true in AR. So I'm getting to get, sorry, to make a long, uh, yeah. short story long. Um, so to, so AR seemed like the lot most logical next step because I want to share this experience as broadly as possible, as I yeah. said. And in, when I was in conversation with the creative director at Drive, Rich Lee, he said, well, what about AR? What if we translated these into AR? And it was just such an electrifying concept and such an exciting one, because of course, that's where a lot of technology is headed already. But this would, uh, I was really interested in, in giving people choice and agency around how and where they experience art. Yeah. And really reaching, because, not everyone has time to go to a museum, to a gallery, to a studio, whatever. And this, 
the, that piece of it, which has been part of the surprise that I referred to earlier, is just how much fun people have had with it. Yeah. And the idea that you can kind of create content by placing these works in any setting of your choosing. And then while, once they're there, you can walk through them. You can teleport through them. I don't know if that's clear, but like you can actually, we developed an, a teleport within the app, that, which allows you to move through any of those experiences, whether it's the drawings or the hologram or the studio at your own. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it was great. So that that's incredible. And I, I want to dig into each of those um, a little more, but even if we, if we go back a little bit, I mean, how you've been an artist for a while. I mean, describe your work a little bit. And I'm, I'm curious, you talked about this epiphany that you had when you saw VR. What, um, so what was the feeling like? And was there a certain frustration you had before? Did you go from kind of 2d to then sculptures, you know, because you wanted it to be a more like, uh, you know, 3d sort of artwork. And then what was your first experience in VR? That's a fantastic question. So, Yes. So I was everything, any kind of innovation, as you know, is sort of born out of frustration <laughs> and coming up against the limits of your materials and your medium. So uh, even when, I, you know, years ago when I was doing certain videos, I, I used the then what was then I thought, you know, cutting edge technology to, and, and warped it and used it in ways that wasn't that weren't really traditional mm -hmm. um, to achieve what I wanted. So um so yeah, so I was I was get I had made these enormous nine foot drawings, and I had punctured them, and I was really trying to push this idea of space and its relate in your relationship to these forms in space. And a colleague suggested that I try VR, and it was it was this moment, this light bulb moment of, I mean, I talked about it as an undergraduate as a as a tool of political empathy in my some of my undergraduate classes in political theory, and it was just a, it was just a concept back then. And I mentioned it to my brother-in-law who said, who said, you know, come over and, and try. I've got a series of experiences, just like regular, you know, yeah. I don't know, Whitman sampler VR experiences. So I went over and I did it. And that's when I had that, that moment of, of a sort of an epiphany of like, oh my God, this, this would allow me to do exactly what I want to do in 2D, only in 3D. Yeah. And uh, and, and the part about being accessible, I mean, I think rings so true. So why you sort of went the AR route versus, you know, VR immediately or wanting to, to create experience. Um, what else, like, what else was there about, I guess, the app specifically? Like, how did you get to that? And then wanting to like tell your story and do like the studio tour? Like, did you feel like those were things that you realized could be valuable from like your previous experience? Yes. I mean, part of that was experimental, I have yeah. to say, because I, I, it was important to me not just to offer the AR, the VR translated into AR drawings mm -hmm. as an experience, but also to kind of offer context. And the way that you offer context is by is through the studio. Right. So I, you know, in lieu of of sending you to a website or throwing 2D images up on the on the app, I really wanted you to see this. is This is an artist's creative space. This is a glimpse into my my head for better, for worse. Yeah. Right literally, here, you know, literally. And then the hologram as a, as a sort of, um, to, to complement that just to give even the briefest of conceptual underpinnings of the work, that was an opportunity to kind of put a, put a face to the, to the work and also to give it context conceptually. And then to talk about, you know, I just talked briefly about why the why of the app, yeah, which the has to do with access. Yeah, the 
the other thing about your story that I really liked was was talking about how as people we want to create like sort of habits and and rituals and things and but the world is so chaotic and how those two things come together like that that really resonated in that sort of AR experience it was kind of I don't know sort of meta and, and surreal in a way. <laughs> Thank you. Well, yes, all of the I will say the following all four of those pieces are inspired by our current moment yeah. culturally. And so I feel that they have, whether it's unconsciously or not, a kind of resonance with people insofar as they, they kind of attempt to harness some of that, that chaos, but also offer it in a way that is not either didactic, I hope, or um, too on the nose. Yeah. No, I, I understand. The, um, I'll tell you, what, one of the things that really inspired me in wanting to talk to you is, you know, a lot of of the point of this whole podcast was talking about the intersection of art and technology. And there's some tension there. Um, and also having worked with artists who are, you know, often reluctant to technology, to see you embrace it so much and then like go out and and create your own, I mean, app, you know, your own project, your own way to connect with your audience and sort of raise the bar which is is really why I want to do this podcast is so that everyone hears what's going on and it raises the bar like to me that was just incredible so I mean how like how did you get started I mean you kind of told the inspiration but like how did you say okay I talked to my brother-in-law I saw this I played a game in the VR world I'm gonna do x well immediately following that very sort of virgin experience uh, with the medium, I, I, that's when my heart started pounding. And I said to him, like, what can I do this? Can I do that? And he said, you can do whatever you want. You know, sky's the limit. And it's terra incognita. It's just, it's all, all unexplored territory. And that is like catnip to an artist. That's just like, are you kidding me? Okay, great. So he actually, and my son built me this DIY computer, this totally like Mad Max computer from like parts scavenged here and there. Wow. And I just acquired the technology and I dove in and, and actually it was after a lot of experimentation and, and frustration again, you know, using tilt, tilt is amazing, but it is a limited, um, it's, it's miraculous and crude all at once. So you have a very limited palette, right? What's the, what's the Google tilt brush just for those listening? Oh, sorry. It's a drawing app. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic drawing app in VR. Okay. And so I kind of, you know, I did as much as I could to sort of torque and bend it to my will, but it, that's, again, that sort of led to the next innovation, which was the brush, you know, incorporating my own marks, my own brush strokes, um, and trying to sort of start designing them. And I'm trying to develop a whole suite of them in, at the moment. Um, what, what does that mean? But, like create your own brush stroke? Is that, well, yeah. All, all that means is really, uh, creating, a, a mark that is uniquely mine and that you would see in, in the 2d work as well. So in, in, in so far as we can get that close and we're yeah. still, there's, it's not, it's not mimesis. It's not an exact replica, but it's, it's referential. It's in the same dialogue visually. Wow. Um, and again, you know, I can't underscore enough how important this creative partnership with drive is. Yeah. So, so from there, you know, Yes. I mean, I, I'm, I'm eager to embrace all of it. I, you have to be fearless if you're going <laughs> to do anything in tech, as far as I'm concerned, because it moves so quickly and because there is so much potential. Um, and we all sort of share an, a common ethos, which is 
you know, we don't really like, no, we don't like the word. No, we don't like, um, that's not possible. So we've been able to really innovate a lot of solutions and that's from there came this, this idea for the app, which is really, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say, I mean, were you tech savvy before? Like what, what was your relationship with technology? Like, did you have a website online? Instagram, I mean, I had a know, website. Yeah. I have a website and I, and I've always just worked in, in really in drawing and video. Um, and it's been, that's been my, those have been my sort of twin stars, my whole creative life. And it's just sort of, it's an interesting tension to be working with sort of in the most ancient practice and also the most futuristic. Yeah. How, how does um, your art change when working in a physical space opposed to a virtual one? Well, it's totally, it's, it's really fascinating. And I think the medical, the medical, uh, establishment has known this for a long time about VR, but it actually, there's trickery that occurs neuroanatomically. And so I feel like it's really changed the way I represent, I represent objects on paper. Now it's sort of expanded my, my, this is a really weird thing to say, but I actually perceive white paper differently, the void of the paper, because I'm working in a void in VR. And so the paper now has, takes on this different type of limitlessness and space. And so wow. I, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like it, and there's a different velocity to the drawings. There's a different energy to them. Um, so that, no, that, yeah, <laughs> that's great. And so it sounds like it's affected the way then you, you create in a, in a 2d world as well. Yes. Oh, uh, it's, it's a, it's a creative loop. I mean, it's yeah. been really interesting the way one, refer, you know, one informs the other. I mean, the piece, nobody can see this either, but this sort of color piece behind me was nothing I ever would have created from whole cloth, you know, in my studio prior to VR. That's actually based on a VR drawing. That's a 2D canvas based on a VR drawing. So wow. it's this crazy inversion. Like there, there are all these series of inver- creative inversions. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. What was the biggest frustration or barrier that you faced uh, during this process? Um, to be totally candid. Uh, I-, I hope all of this is candid. It's all totally candid. Yeah, I'm not holding back. It remains, the frustration remains the same. I want to be able to, I actually do want to be able to work. I wish that there were like a graphite tool that I could use and smudge and work in and work out and erase and wrestle with the same way in VR that I can do it on paper. It's all a physical process. It's all super embodied. It's all, um, it's all part of that sort of struggle with material, but I still, I don't, there's a, there's a way in which the drawings on paper still have it's what's fascinating is it's all trace. So in in VR it's trace and it's trace here. These are all almost frozen performances in a way. And that's true. And you can tell even when you walk through the drawings in AR, right? Those marks, each mark is a decision. Each mark is a moment in represents a moment in a decision in time. But I wish that I could just get it a little bit closer to what I'm doing here. Huh? All right. Is it, do you feel like you're making that progress? Is it, Sort of slow I'm and trying s- yeah. slowly, 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 and again with tremendous help from my my allies at Drive. So, do you think it's a is it a technology issue or is it a yeah? No, it's really a technology issue. Well, that's it's not good. an execution issue. It's just literally like what is possible currently. 
All right. What, uh, you know, to, to get a little bit more personal, you talked a bit about like your son helping you and then your brother-in-law. And I know reading online, you talk a lot about being a mother and how that's affected your art. Tell me a little bit more about that. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it's definitely a family affair. Um, uh, I mean, full disclosure, my, it is my brother-in-law is a creative director at, at drive and my sister and, and another incredible, um, animator named Annika Morris have been essential to my whole process. Um, so, so this is really a family affair. It's really a family affair. That's amazing. And so I'm really, really fortunate to have their, the short sort of shorthand that we have and it's a creative shorthand. And again, it's a, almost a philosophical shorthand. Yeah. Um, but as far as motherhood is concerned, you know, I think something happens when you, I can only speak for myself. I should, I, I'll just say it happened to me. Me is a good time, you, how precious it is, the lack of it, and how, and how quickly it goes. And that provokes a kind of, not just efficiency in terms of production as an artist, but it also, in me at least, prompts a certain lack of um, reticence around risk-taking. Um, I feel very emboldened to do so. And, and this is another bonus, <laughs> I just have to say, especially having older kids, they will tell me right to my face if something's not cool or if it's not rad or like, I mean, I've already, we've already established you don't hashtag. They were like, this, nobody hashtags. Stop hashtagging. <laughs> don't I, do I didn't know that. I still hashtag. But I know I, I do too. Of course, you know, but, but they don't. And, um, so if it passes muster with them, I'm usually pretty sure it's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be cool. I mean, you know, yeah. How, um, that, that's great. How, how long did the, this iterative process take and getting their feedback and incorporating it from sort of inception to it going live? What a month ago? You mean from, from, for the, the AR? For, yeah. For yeah. So I spent, I really started working in VR in January of 2017. Mm -hmm. And by, I would say no, mm, uh, end of October, I had four finished, fully discrete drawings that were, individually animated in, in this very glacial slow animation and had all, were all sort of finished, in my opinion, finished fine art pieces that could be exhibited, right? Or experienced in any, any context. And it was right around then that we started developing the app. We had thought we might be done by the end of the year, but it wasn't really until I think mid-February that we were fully, fully ready. And, you know, there are all kinds of IP issues. You have to, you know, there are legal issues, there are funding issues. So, um, you know, it, it always takes longer than you think it will. I want to take a quick break to tell you more about our Patreon page. As you know, here at State of the Art, we want to build the art and tech community, increase the conversation, and we love bringing you guests from across the art and tech world. But the thing is, there's so much more we want to do. We want to continue to bring you great guests. We want to do live podcasts. We want to increase the frequency. To do that, though, we need your support. Visit our page at patreon.com slash state of the art. Pledge just a dollar and you'll get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes footage, and a chance to be our super fan of the week. And let me tell you, this is pretty cool. Super fans will get a shout out on next week's episode and a chance to show your art and tech thoughts 
events, or whatever within our social feeds. So go to patreon.com slash state of the art and become one of our patrons today. Now back to the episode. Okay, so that now I think it was February 18th, it launched, it's out in the wild. You said you had expectations about people, you know, how people use it. How have they used it? What's been, do you have like a favorite story um, or, or a piece I of feedback? Have. Yeah, I mean, the, well, there's sort of, yes. First of all, there's, yeah, I could answer that in any million, any number of ways. Um, the overwhelming response that I wasn't expecting, which has been so, thrilling is just how much fun people are having with it. Like I thought it would be intriguing, interesting. People would, I, I thought, I don't know who I thought it would appeal to, but I thought, well, you know, I, I assumed it would land with a certain art audience or a tech savvy audience, but it's, it's been broadly embraced and, and has triggered and harnessed other people's creativity in ways that I couldn't have anticipated. I mean, wow. someone shot, used it from a six seater, uh, airplane above Malawi. Another guy was on the five train going to the Bronx and he used it. And, you know, I mean, it's just hilarious. And, and also uh, uh, one thing I hadn't anticipated is that, the, and, and actually another person put it on the baggage claim carousel at LAX. So it literally traveled, like the drawing travels along with the luggage. You got to see it. It's on the oh Instagram. Oh my gosh. Um, so using humor and, um, and inventiveness, somebody, um, Michelle Aslan did this extraordinary picture at Lake Austin. Um, another Ryan Brown also put it out, you know, on Lake Erie. It's just been, people have just found the most inventive. Somebody just used it. Uh, I don't know what, the, I don't know where the diamondbacks play. Um, Arizona. Uh, Arizona. Yeah. In the, in the sports stadium, you know, so they've used it in the air. They've used it on a subway. They've used, I mean, they've used it in all these contexts and in doing so have created context for the work and have sort of, you know, really engaged their own, you know, choice in the matter, which, which to me, I hope kind of, uh, uh, elicits a conversation around public art and what is public art and how is it experienced and how is it offered and how is it, how is it engaged by individuals? you know, and who's making these decisions and how can we provide greater access? And I think it has, uh, there's a lot of potential around uh, differently abled communities, people who are for whatever reason, housebound or can't move, just even being able, even if you're just constricted, let's say you're in an elevator and you want to experience it, you can still teleport through any of those experiences. You can yeah. be standing in one place. You don't have to actually physically move if you don't want. Um, so, so those are just, a, you know, a handful of ways in which it's been kind of that it's incredible. So, I mean, it sounds like it's been used around the world and in many different. Yes. And in London, someone did this like extraordinary piece in London and we've checked some of the downloads that's been downloaded in India and a bunch of other places. I, I mean, I, because I guess hashtagging in a, in, you know, younger yeah. generation, it's not happening. I don't even know where, <clears throat> where it's been used um, beyond what I've seen just, or whatever people have just sent me yeah. through my website or other ways. That's it's it is an amazing phenomenon, and I guess you know Snapchat did something last year a bit with AR and, and sort of some more famous artists. But part of what I like here is that um, I don't know like you that you created this and you want to make art more accessible, um, and that's so important. I mean, what what do you think? I guess 
art can be accessible online, right? Someone could see your 2D drawing online and, and, and they can see it all over the world. So in that way, technology has made it more accessible there, but you've done something more than that. You know, you have created this um, engaging, you know, accessibility in a different way, which is perhaps people who wouldn't have ever looked at your art online in its 2D format just because they weren't that interested are perhaps now engaging with it. So, I mean, how do you think about that? And like, do you see things like this making art more accessible to a broader audience, not just who would want to see it, but that would never even think about art per se or want really- to go to a gallery? I really, Ethan, I really hope so. Um, I think the, I think that the key here, and it really is key. I mean, look, lots of institutions are mapping their, um, you know, their signature exhibitions for archival purposes. And also so that, you know, if you miss, for example, I think MOCA's mapped the Carrie James Marshall exhibition, which was an extraordinary one. If you missed it, you could go. But that, you know, that is, as you, as you rightly point out, for, by and large, for, for an, you know, an art, loving audience to begin with. Um, I think the key piece here is choice and giving people choice as to how they experience it, how and when and where, um, do they record it? Do they not? Is it ephemeral? Is it something that they, that they save, that they hold on to? Um, I think that's the part that I hope, and I think is, has sort of opened it up and expanded it into a broader audience than just what you'd normally expect. Yeah. And that, and that, to me, that I mean, that's that's huge and that's great because you're you use the word art loving. I like that. It's it's how do we get people who aren't always thinking about art to want to engage with it and be interested in it and learn about it? And you know, I found this um, such a even just honestly the this tour of your studio and like hearing your story already, I was like, oh my gosh, like I want to learn more. I want to see your work. You know, I want to see your two D work. Like I want to visit your you know I want to visit your studio in person. And so that I think is something that resonates with a lot of people. Thank you. Well, I really I, thank you very much for saying that. And I, I think that uh, especially now where we have so much um, tumult in the world and so much, um, so much sort of hangs in this uncomfortable limbo, it's, we kind of need art more than ever. And anything that connects art to joy, to provocative conversation, to um, unexpected content, that is, that's doing good. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm interested in. Yeah. How, uh, how do you see other artists using this technology? Are you going to enable other artists to do this? Are you partnering with artists? Um, um, I haven't partnered with any artists so far. Um, I, I think, it get, you know, as you pointed out, it's still pretty out there. Um, it might be daunting at first and I hope, I hope more artists, um, you know, become interested in, in disseminating work this way or in ways that are, that are, you know, equally inventive or, um, I don't pretend to have like, you know, cornered this market by any stretch. I, it, to me, it's just a matter of opening up the conversation. So I am open to any number of iterations or, um, extensions of this, of this work and yeah. of this, of this app. Yeah. Yeah. You could almost write like the playbook on, on how to do it. Right. I mean, you've had so many learnings. I, it's yeah the learning curve has been incredibly steep but also profound what um i mean thinking about it in a bit more like practical sort of business perspective i mean 
you know, art as an artist, you want to make a living doing this. I mean, how do you see this helping? I mean, are there ways that artists can charge doing this? Is it a brand building exercise? Oh, such a good and thorny question. I mean, one of the reasons it was important to me that this, at least this first iteration be free is again, to underscore that idea of access. Mm -hmm. But of course, in making it free, it is by definition, not profitable. Um, and I wouldn't pretend that I have any uh, great instincts on the business front. But it's certainly those are part, you know, some of the conversations that I'm having now and trying to imagine ways to to make it so that I can not only support my practice, but can also um, continue to make work in this very uh, exciting but expensive medium. Um, so I'm I'm that's something that I'm I'm looking at right now very, very closely. I even wonder, you know, I was even thinking as I was walking through your studio, if I could just like point at one of the pieces and like buy it right there using, you know, like my Apple pay or whatever. I, I was like, I probably would have bought it. Oh my God. Well, you know, that is something that we certainly talked about at one point. It does require a whole sort of backend piece to the app, which is a kind of a whole other can of worms. And, um, you know, at some point, if I have a certain amount of funding, I might, I mean, these are all, all of these decisions are funding yeah. based, right? I mean, they're all based on what's possible with the budget you have. Oh, there you're back. Um, um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, my hope is also that because you can Google my name and get to my website in two seconds, if you were interested in a piece, if someone were interested in a piece, yeah. right, that they'd seen, they could, they could reach out to me directly. And that's how other people have done it in the past. So no, it's, and I, you know, I, the story is so important. I mean, obviously this is more than just the story, but, um, that and story and engagement, almost like patronage. And, you know, I've always struggled with figuring out how to approach that online and, and helping artists to do that. And sometimes a lot of time I push video and, you know, um, I mean, actually literally writing your story or telling it through video, but this was just such a different experience. I mean, it was almost, you know, again, like virtually from anywhere in the world, I could hear you, I could walk into your studio and that, and, and actually the studio specifically is so, um, tells so much about the artist. I think people love to see it. And so seeing it virtually just, you know, makes a huge difference. And that's where I'm intrigued about this technology as well. Well, I, that's a great point. And I think that there's a certain intimacy to it, right? I mean, yeah. very few, it's, it's, a, it's, well, to me, it's a sacred space, the studio. And so, you know, opening it up to, to the public as it were, um, is a, is a risk and there's a certain vulnerability to that. On the other hand, what better way to provide insight into a practice? Yeah. So, you know, um, and then, it, and again, to me, it just gives a broader perspective on the overall context of all of the work. You can see when you look at the walls, like, oh, these, these, these drawings in 360, these AR drawings have, you know, relatives on the walls. They're not just sort of out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent where, I mean, sort of on that note, and you talked a bit earlier about some of the frustrations you're having in this creation process. I mean, where do you see, you know, AR, VR in sort of the art and tech world going? Well, it's such an, it's such an, I mean, obviously it's being used commercially already. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, Ikea is doing it and that's not really the art world, but like, you know, there, there are not the any design ways world. Go. the design yeah. world, right. This is going to, this is going to, this exactly what you said, you know, people can, can look at a piece, put it over their couch and say, well, you know, I want that, or I don't want that or whatever. Um, 
you know, I, AR, it seems there's, there, there are so many, I think there are potential, there's so much potential in sort of public art and in cities and in other people sort of embracing the technology where, you know, um, you can provide additional information. I mean, we talked about all kinds of different ways we could, we could harness this technology. And these were just the ones that we decided upon, but you can, I mean, at one point we talked about having things come out of the drawings, you know, I mean, there's, I think sky's the limit. It's, it's, and even being it like my hope is that in future iterations of the app, um, we'll be able to place you, you'd be able to actually have to control more than just sort of hold up your phone and put it somewhere. You could actually control where you put it. So you could like put it on the top of the Chrysler building. I want, could, I want to do that. Yeah, yeah I, I want to do that. <laughs> I was going to say though, we, we, in the virtual world, even the sky is not the limit, right? Because no, sky's not it's, the limit. it's infinite. There's no limit. It's all infinite. It's an infinite void. What's, what, what do you think is going to happen 10 years, 15 years from now? I mean, as you look at artists and how they create, do you think artists are going to create first in a digital world? And do you think they're going to stop creating it in an analog space? I really don't think they will. And the reason why is that, well, first of all, you know, as, as, as we, as we've discussed, the technology is amazing um, until it isn't. And when it, you know, it exists, a lot of this exists in a virtual, in a virtual world, in a virtual space, people still love having something tactile to hold on to, to look at every day, to engage with. So while some people might go, yeah, hundred percent Wally future. I think that, um, I think that there's always going to be a, a, an appetite for and need for physical objects. Yeah. I would, I think, I, I think they'll coexist. I, I agree. And I, I do think art is something that people sort of want. Uh, it's like a treasure, you know, yeah. that, that an artifact that they want to be in an analog space. Uh, but again, using technology to tell the story, to connect with the artist, you know, is only going to get more and more interesting um, as AR and VR come come into their own. Absolutely. And I think that that will be true, whether it's in individual apps and in individual studios or, you know, museums, galleries. If you can get even more, you know, if a hologram of an artist can pop up from, you know, you, you know, you, you point to something and the hologram of the artist pops up, and starts talking about what they're doing. That's like amazing that's great added content it's better than just putting on a series of headphones and wandering around like a sheep you know yeah again that idea of choice you decide what are you interested in yeah i love it choice do you find inspiration from anyone is there anyone that you look at they're like oh my gosh like they're even further ahead than i am or like cutting edge or doing something totally different i mean every artist i think i've ever admired has in their own way embraced has kind of adopted a fearless forging into unknown territory. So um, in terms of, this is still such an inchoate medium for fine art that, you know, I've seen and experienced a bunch of VR um, art, but I think it it needs to, it's very fertile, sort of loamy, fertile creative ground. And it, and it needs to, um, and it's generative. And so I think there's going to be a lot more coming out. that's really, really exciting and interesting. Um, I look at somebody like, for example, Nani de la Pena, who's used it, you know, taken it in terms of like immersive journalism and used the medium to that extent. Yeah. I think that's like wildly inspiring. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I God, I mean, I'm looking at my books on the bookshelf right now. I, every artist I've ever loved or admired was a pioneer in some way. So I think it'll be interesting too with uh, 
perhaps children coming up. I mean, if there are ever artists who create digitally first or VR first. Oh my God. Just last night, I was literally sitting next to my son and he was sketching in the notes part of his iPhone. Okay. He was sketching a superhero with, with a notes thing. And I looked at him and I thought, <clears throat> wait, 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 where did that come from? Did he just like pull that? And I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm just sketching. And that was all, you know, right from his head. You know, David Hockney did it. I mean, I got to say, I got to give David Hockney props. He was drawing with the iPad or the iPhone, what, 10 years ago? I mean, yeah. he he was making art, again, sort of, I, he's not like one of my favorite artists per se, but he embraced the technology back then fearlessly. Yeah. I, I'm to that point. I, I look forward also. I think technology can be used in ways to help people learn to draw um, that they haven't gotten before, mostly in, you know, feedback and instruction. Like there's a lot of stuff sort of on YouTube, perhaps out there, but it doesn't give you the feedback that you need. Uh, and, and, you know, I think by teaching people to, we lose that at some point. And so enabling yeah. people to draw longer um, and, and without sort of the expense of, of buying all the canvas, you know, especially up front. We'll get more people into, you know, creating perhaps not like professionally, but just even doodling like your son was. I mean, I don't want to call it a doodle, but yeah. It was a doodle. It yeah. was an amazing doodle. No, yeah. Listen, I mean, I think I think all any anything that gets people acting and thinking creatively, uh, and, and to the extent that technology can can allow for that, then that's a bonus. That's like good for society. That's great for culture. People are happier when they are being creative. And I just don't believe people, you know, I, I think the majority of most people are creative. Yeah. It's very, you know, I think it's, it's I just don't believe that, that when someone says, well, I'm not creative, I, I don't really believe that. Yeah. That is a hundred percent. Um, and, and the other thing that you said that use the word fun and how much fun people had. And, and I think that that's, I mean, inspiring in a way, right? When you have so much fun and joy doing something that you want to do it again. And, you know, in the art space, people are so often intimidated. So they don't step into the gallery. They don't step into there. And so I love that um, you were able to create an experience that was fun. Because I think that that will make just as much of a difference. Well, I really appreciate that. And I think that there it's, it is counter, like fun is sort of counterculture. Right. 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 Language. There's a whole sort of uh, there, there are semantics and 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 there's theoretical language that is so exclusive to that world and it's very off-putting and which is one of the reasons why people don't often engage. They don't read art magazines and they don't engage with art because yeah, it feels like a closed system and a club and it's in its own way kind of weirdly conservative because it has all these rules, uh, you know. And so yeah, doing something that's sort of fun is definitely not. It's definitely counterculture, I would say. Yeah. But but I love that. So, you know, I'm happy to I'm happy to poke the bear in that way if I can. Great. Well, I've had a lot of fun doing this podcast. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thanks so much. Before I let you go, I've actually never done this, but I'm going to give you a challenge, which is to um, at some point this year, you know, create uh, video blogs or ways to help you know, inspire other artists and kind of give them that step-by-step -step because I think it is intimidating and you learn so much. So I'm going to check back in with you at the end of the year on how you've done. Great. Challenge but accepted. First, we're going we're gonna to do a rapid fire before I let you go. Okay. Oh, okay. Are, are you ready? Uh, I guess so. If you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, I would want to speak every possible language in the country because I mean, not in the country, in the world. Because I love to communicate and I would just love to have that kind of 
that kind of ease. I would love to move sort of like water through different cultures. That that and I'm that's probably the best answer I have ever heard. I'm not. Oh, I'm not. You. That is. That's an incredible. I. I love it. Okay. What's your most played song on Spotify? Oh, that's just just going to embarrass me. That's why um, I asked. Ah. Oh, oh man, you really want me to be honest? I'm just looking at my. I really, really love. I really love Kendrick Lamar. Yes. And Why is that embarrassing? That I, it's not embarrassing, but I just feel like I feel, suddenly feel so white. Um, uh, I love that song, King Kunta. I listen to it all the time. <laughs> all right. Perfect. Last question is, what's your favorite part of living and working in LA? Oh, my God. The sort of boundless, um, the, 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 it's so liberating to be an artist in the city. I feel, and this is native to California. I, I grew up on the East Coast, and this is one of the things I love about the West Coast. There's a kind of openness in the creative process here that does not exist. I feel, I just literally came from New York, and there's a certain kind of attitude there, which is like, prove to me that you're worth talking to. And here, people are just actually genuinely curious what you're up to. And there just don't seem to be the same, again, back to rules, back to sort of old ways of thinking. People just don't really care where you're from here. They just want to see if you're doing, they just want to know if you're doing something interesting. And that is really, really liberating. And I think it's really particular to the West Coast. So, and to LA, I think it's just the most exciting time to be an artist in LA. Wonderful. Well, again, Nancy, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. And we're going to have you back in a year and you're going to talk about uh, what you've been up to. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Okay. So don't forget to follow Nancy on Instagram at Nancy Baker Cahill or visit her website, nancybakercahill.com. That's N-A-N-C-Y-B-A-K-E-R-C-A-H-I-L-L. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh yeah, and don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind the scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode and really cool art videos you're going to want to show your friends. Until next week, this is your host, Ethan Appleby, signing off from State of the Art.